Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I don't know um, if you've seen the Jesus Revolution. I am not in that movie, though I was in the real movement. <laughs> so we um, there, there's just some things that were wrong about that movie that bothered me that shouldn't bother anybody else who wasn't there. And I'm so blessed by the way God is using it. Um, I didn't think that Kelsey Kramer could uh, smile big enough on that he was a little too old, but I'm so blessed that the Lord touched his heart and that he wanted to play my dad and he he loved the part. That's like amazing, right? But the thing was, is that during this time, when my dad moved down here, he was already doing a Bible study in Newport Beach. So he was driving from Corona to do this little home study. And so when he went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, all those people who were at that home study in Newport Beach immediately went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So I remember being about 10 years old, and my dad, no, sorry, about eight years old, and my dad said to me, Cheryl, today, because I was hyperactive, and so my mom would be like, take her, take her, take her. So my dad was hyperactive. He's like, okay. And I, you know, I'm the only child that could keep up with him. And so he said, today, we're going to the newspaper office, and we're going to take the advertisement out of the paper. And I said, okay, Daddy. And he said, because I don't want a church bigger than 250 people, and we are there. That was before a hippie showed up. But in the meantime, you got my mom, who keeps praying for hippies. Keep, it was obsessive. It was like, we've got to pray for hippies. Donnie, you know how my mom could do that, right? And Sandy, it would be like she would get like obsessive. She would see hippies and she'd be like, oh, Chuck, Chuck, they're dying without Jesus. They might have a drug overdose tonight. You know, that one's on LSD. And my dad's, how do you know that? The spirit of the Lord. I, I mean, as my dad said, she not only knew who was on drugs, she knew what drugs they were taking. And she would go next door. There was a prayer meeting that was really sedate till my mother got there. And my mother got them all on their knees, crying out for the lost generation. And in our house, it was, let me say this, irritating. It bothered us because you couldn't just have a normal drive. You know, down Harbor Boulevard, it would be like, oh, there's another lost soul. We were like, come on, can we just eat? Mexican food without a burden, but we couldn't because she cared so deeply so much, and she began to pray for this lost generation. So my sister was dating this guy named John Nicholson, and she said, oh, my mom is just driving me crazy, and he said, how? And oh, she wants to meet a hippie and talk to one. He goes, well, I know a hippie who's saved. His name is Lonnie Frisbee. He lives up in Northern California. I can ask him to come down. His parents live in Newport Beach. She's like, would you? Maybe this would help my mom. So Lonnie comes down with his wife, Connie. They're about 19 years old, and they're married. And they meet with my mom, and my mom's like, Chuck, Chuck, you've got to hear this. Chuck, come in this room. Sit down, Chuck. You've, you've got to hear this. And if you know my mom, that's exactly my mom. So she, you know, my dad sits there, and she's asking Lonnie all these questions. Like, why did you do drugs? What got you to this place of despair? And he laid out his whole story. He had been molested as a young boy. 
His parents had been part of the uh, country club set and would rather go to the country club. And so they knew this young man had molested their son, but when they wanted to go to the country club again and couldn't find a babysitter, they called the molester back. That was Lonnie's background. And when he found Jesus, it changed everything. He was a nobody in the Jesus movement up in Northern California, just another one who had gotten saved, married his living girlfriend, Connie. They had dropped out of high school. And then what happened is he gets saved. He comes down just to talk to my mom. He and Connie come to church. Now, Lonnie's never shared the gospel. He's never evangelized. He's never uh, taught the Bible. You know, he's only like 19 years old. But the people, because they had been praying for the hippies, because my mom got him praying on Wednesday nights after the service and, thir- and uh, Sunday nights after yeah. the service when we used to have a prayer meeting. The people in the church so loved and were so ready for this. Now, remember in the movie, they get up and they walk out? No. The people got up to meet Lonnie and Connie. And they surrounded them and they began to pray and they anointed Connie and Lonnie with oil. And they prayed that the Spirit of God might give them a ministry and might be on them. And from that moment on, Lonnie was a changed man, and Connie too. They were, they were a couple. They needed each other. And they began to, then they went back up to Northern California. The church kept growing. We moved from the little church on um, Walnut and Church Street. It's not too far from Mother's Market down in Costa Mesa. We moved from that church. And we started renting a Lutheran church that was on the bluff. It's now like a repertory theater, but it used to be a Lutheran church. And that pastor, my dad had met him at a mayor's breakfast, and they had hit it off, and they used to fellowship together regularly. My dad used to fellowship with the Presbyterian church, with the Baptist church, with anybody who loved Jesus. He could meet and greet and love, and definitely with the Pentecostals. So he said, why don't you rent my church? We're trying to raise money to move. This would help us out. And my dad said, great. So we started meeting on Sunday afternoons. I loved that time because when we were meeting there on Sunday afternoons, my parents decided to have brunch every Sunday morning before church. And they got in a contest over who made the best muffins. And my mom, she was a perfectionist. She made the best blueberry muffins. But my dad beat her out with those cinnamon apple muffins. I'm sorry. My faves. But my dad never used a recipe, so he can never repeat it, unfortunately. So while we're at the Lutheran Church, my parents, um, my dad found a little school down here on Greenville and Sunflower, and he loved the school. It was Spanish-style, style that he absolutely loved. Had arches. He took me to see it. There were weeds growing over it. But my dad was such a visionary. He said, this is the next Calvary Chapel. We could just fix it up and move in. So the church with limited budget, and now the hippies were beginning to come, we bought that property, bought that school, only to find out a week later that the city condemned it. Now what are we going to do? We've got a piece of property. There's no money. But God began to send money in, a little bit at a time. So with whatever bit of money came, they would build a little bit more. They would build a little more. So they built the church down there. It could seat, get this, 500 people. 500. Huge amount. Dad said, oh, I don't know, but you know, just 500, we'll see what God does. It was so packed out the first week that the fire department came and said, you got to have two services. 
So we moved to two services. Our little parking lot could not even hold all the cars. They were parked all the way up and down Fairview and um, Sunflower Boulevard because it used to just be bean fields as far as you could see, so you could park along that. South Coast Plaza was just being built. I was one of the first kids to ride the merry-go-round. It cost 25 cents, my dad wouldn't pay for it, so this guy named Keith Ritter, who was in our church, he let me ride three times, 75 cents. I would get a nickel for each tooth I lost. A nickel. That tooth fairy was so cheap. <laughs> so we, we bought that, we, you know, we built the church. They had to um, make the sides go out, so now it's seat 750. The next thing you know, we're up to three services. And so my dad's like, you know, we live too far away from the church. We, and our, our house was, we didn't have showers in our house. We had trickles. You know what I mean? The water pressure was terrible. Um, my mom said there were people uh, buried in the basement. You'd open one door and it was just dirt. My dad knew that none of it was done to permit when they added the downstairs of our house. So they wanted to move. And so we begin every Sunday afternoon, and I'm about 12 years old, to look at all the new housing developments. That's how old I am. All those housing developments from like, all the way from here to MacArthur, they were brand new. Brand new. So we would look at model homes every single Sunday afternoon. And I absolutely loved it. We would go to church, we would go out to eat, and then we would look at model homes because we were going to move. And I was so, I loved it. I just thought it was so fun to see how they decorated, what the backyards looked like, what the floor plans looked like. It was, it was one of my favorite times. Now, my dad came home and said, Kay, I found the house. And instead of being one of those brand new model homes, typical dad, he found a fixer-upper in Costa Mesa. And it had, had renters in it. You know what that's like, right? But my mom and dad walked into that house in Costa Mesa off of Santa Ana Avenue, and they could see. They could see the potential. So they tore up the carpets. They realized there were parquet floors underneath. I mean, just, you know, how God works. And they fixed it up, and I absolutely loved, loved, loved that house. Dad loved the idea of working on it and doing everything himself. So we had a garage door that could open three quarters of the way. You know, there's the rumor that my dad was a great builder. He was not, <laughs> but he loved to build. He built us a retaining wall that was just curvaceous. <laughs> but I've never gotten over my love of houses. There is something in me that just absolutely loves houses. You know, if you walk, at about 5.30 or 6, when people haven't closed their drapes yet and they've got their lights on, you can kind of see in and see some stuff like how your neighbors have decorated and how they live their lives. I love that kind of stuff. One of my favorite uh, channels is HGTV. I don't get it, but if I go to my kid's house, like they're rich, so they have it. And I love to watch, you know, whether it's Fixer Upper, especially Fixer Upper, right? Because we love the gains. But I, and, or what's that other couple, Ginny and um, Dave Mars? Because she always calls him Dave Mars. I love that. 
I love just watching what they do to these old houses and the changes they make in these houses, how they take down walls and, uh, you know, move and, and tear out the kitchen and put in all new cupboards and um, rearrange the whole style and function of the house. I, I love that. I love house hunters. There's another one that's called Location, 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 and you can only watch it on YouTube, but all the houses are in England. And it's so, so fun. I love seeing the way a house is laid out, what the floor plan is. I love seeing what furniture they have. I love to see the arrangement. You, you can tell so much about where the priority of a home is by the way the furniture is arranged. But the Bible has a lot to say about houses. Do you know the word house is used over 95 times in the Bible? Why? Because houses are important. I'm going to read you just a few scriptures from Proverbs, some of my favorites and my mom's favorites. Proverbs 9.1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Proverbs 11.29, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Proverbs 14.1, this was my mom's favorite. In fact, she said, Cheryl, I just read Proverbs 14.1 again, and the Lord told me you're supposed to do a Bible study on it, so start working right now. And I did. Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman pulls it down with her own hands. Proverbs 15.6, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but the revenue of the wicked is trouble. And then one of um, my favorites, Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. It also can read better is a house, a meal of vegetables. <laughs> Never mind. Proverbs, I, I, I rephrase that. Better is dinner with a vegan and love than with someone on the Atkins diet with strife. <laughs> and then um, my dad's favorite, Proverbs 21.9. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. There's so many more. Of course, there are 95. But when the Bible talks about homes or houses, it is often using it as an allegory or a metaphor for the heart. We, we read um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus says this, therefore, whoever hears this word of mine and does them, he's like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. He who takes the word in and seeks to use the word to build his house. Build the house of the Lord in our heart. And, and in that scripture, Jesus says, and the floods came. See, the floods come no matter what. The floods, they hit the good house and they hit the the weak house. They, 
the rain comes and the rain falls on the strong house and it falls on the weak house. The wind blows against the strong house on a rock and it blows against the weak house. The difference is not the storm. The difference is the foundation. And the foundation built on the rock of Jesus. The house that has Jesus in it and builds on Jesus. That's the house that withstands the storm, no matter how strong the wind, how great the flood, how torrential the rain. It's the house that's built on the rock that stands. Returning to Proverbs 4.23, Solomon wrote, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it proceeds the issues of life. It's the heart, the home, the house of your being. This is where all the decisions and all the journeys take place. In Matthew 12, 34, and 35, and you can remember this by 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, no, 1, 2, 3, 5. <laughs> Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. Remember, by wisdom a house is built. And by understanding the rooms are filled with all sorts of treasures. Don't you want to have those treasures in your house? To be able to bring out of your house treasures old and new. You see, some of the lessons that we've learned from Jesus that are in our heart, they're old. It's like, I learned this when I was like two days old in Jesus. And some of those treasures, it's like, I never saw that before. That's amazing. I need to share that with somebody. Jesus is saying, that's what we're supposed to be like. That house, our hearts, supposed to be filled with the treasury. Our heart is the home of our lives. What takes place in our heart affects the way we think. You know, there's this um, study right now by psychologists and scientists called cognitive therapy. And they're finding that people get these wrong thinking patterns and it affects everything in their life. And so what they're doing is they're going back and they're saying, what's the process that you're thinking by? And they're finding where has it been disrupted? Well, when Jesus is in the house, it affects the way, the process by which we value and think. It affects what we prioritize, what room is most important to us, and what room is the least important to us. To me, the most important room in my house is guess. Absolutely, the kitchen. It's what feeds me. It's where all my creativity is. I love the kitchen. And it, it doesn't show because it's sparkling clean. It shows because it's messy. It shows because if you think my, my dress is bad because the coffee that I spilled on it this morning, my kitchen is worse. You know, my stove is almost always dirty because there's always something going on. 
on that stove. That's my favorite room in my house. Believe it or not, the second room that I love is my laundry room. I really like it because you can put dirty things in that washer and they'll come out clean and you stick them in the dryer and you're like, yes, it's a miracle. It came out. Do you ever lay hands on your clothes and go, Lord, please get this stain out? I do. <clears throat> hey, I was raised by Kay Smith. It's what we do. But when Jesus is in the house, in our heart, it affects the way we live, how we live, how we want to live. It affects the way we interact with others. Do we value others? Do we see them as our mission field potentials for loving Jesus Christ? Do we see them as the chosen, beautiful daughters? Remember, Jesus said, whoever receives a child in my name receives me, and who receives me receives my Father in heaven. He says, whoever gives a drink to a believer in my name, they've received me. He said, if you've clothed the naked, if you've gone to jail, uh, if you've gone to the prisons to visit those who are um, in prison, in that you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. When Paul was persecuting the church and he was stopped by Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus, he said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Exactly. So when Jesus is in the house, you know what we do? We love others. We start loving everyone, good, bad, you might have needs salvation, has salvation, needs improvement. Doesn't matter because we are loving them because of Jesus. It affects the way we talk. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We don't use words like, you always, phrases, you always, you never. We use words like, hey, love, joy beloved, cared for. It affects where we go. If we go to church, if we want to go to church, it affects our desires. Do we want to be with the people of God? Do we want a fellowship or do we want to stay home and watch HGTV? It affects our desires, where we go, what we like to do. It affects how we treat those around us. You know, we leave an impression everywhere we go. It affects the impression we leave. Are people, when we leave, going, she was one of the nicest people I've ever met? Or are they like, whoa, glad she just left the store. That was terrible. Who are we? What, what are we? Are we demanding? Or are we, you know, Apple has had my eye watch for over a week, Brian goes, you go in there and you tell him. I'm like, right. You know, like, they're like, sorry, ma'am, there's nothing we can do. And it's like, I know. But are we saying, I know there's nothing you can do. Thank you, because that's what I did yesterday. Thank you so much for trying. You know, in fact, I've got to tell you this. Um, my daughter was just saying, I can tell Remy, that's her son, has been with grandma maybe a little too much. Because we were driving on the freeway to school, and he says, oh, that car is cutting us off. Everyone is cutting us off. <laughs> okay, that was an impression. 
Not necessarily the one I wanted to leave, but... So when we talk about our homes and our houses, and when we're doing this study, what we're really talking about is our own heart. Jesus wants to make himself at home in our hearts. He wants our hearts to be his residence. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17, Paul prays this. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then, then Christ will make his home in your heart hearts as you trust in him. See that cooperation? The unlimited power of God comes to bear in our hearts by the Spirit, and we begin to trust Jesus, and he moves in. When Jesus is in your house, your heart, all sorts of unexpected, fascinating, at times absolutely wondrous, and at other times convicting things begin to take place. He does a full renovation project on our heart. Often he removes the outdated appliances and furniture. And sometimes we're happy and sometimes we're like, my great grandmother gave me that. He rearranges the furniture. He reprioritizes the rooms and gives some of the rooms whole new purposes. He changes the whole layout of our heart. He repurposes many of the rooms. He cleans out closets. Have you ever had that? He pulls down wallpaper. He paints. He redesigns. He cleans. He gives our heart new purposes, new thoughts, new desires. As we look at Jesus in the house, our focus is not only what Jesus said or did in these ancient houses. Don't read it just as, okay, he did this. Rather, it is not only about what Jesus did, but what Jesus does and about what Jesus wants to do. You know, there's that one show with the mom and daughter, and it takes place in um, some Midwest. Um, They both have red hair. Good bones. You've been watching too much TV. I was just tricking. No, I know. No. But you know, good bones, they're like, there's never a house too bad right? There's never a house beyond. See, you'll be able to look at others and go, your house is not beyond. It's not too far gone. Jesus wants to move in, and he wants to do the full renovation project. It's not just about what Jesus wants to do in your heart, but what Jesus wants to do in the heart of others and what he can do and how he can transform. Again, I'm from the Jesus Revolution. My dad used to have people come up to the, to the platform. And they'd be like, yeah, last week I was, you know, doing hits. And this week I'm doing hits in the Bible. And everybody would be like, yeah! Our God trans... I, that baby had a name man for me. I could hear it. <laughs> Jesus renovates. He wants to be in our house. That he might be in the house of others, that people might walk in our house say, who was your decorator? Who, who was, you know, who was the uh, person that you hired to do all these renovations and work? And you're like, Jesus. And then they can know that they're not too far gone. You know, one of the problems right now I see in the church movement, whether it's Baptist or 
or um, other churches, is they've lost the grace. And if we don't have grace in here for each other, how is somebody out there who doesn't know Jesus, what hope do they have of ever receiving grace? If we're not giving grace to each other over little things, how can they expect grace for a life of sin to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? We have, we have got to let Jesus in the house and let him paint the whole thing with grace inside and out. Thank you. You and the babies, I love it. Out of the mouths of babes and joyful life women, God ordains praise. As we look at Jesus in the house again, our focus is going to be about what Jesus does in houses, the effect he has, and the way everything is changed and transformed and bettered by his presence. This is a journey with Jesus into many, many of the homes he went into. We're going to be looking at somewhere around 22 or 23. As we study these houses and Jesus' time in them, be prepared to start working afresh and anew, to let the Lord begin to work with you in your own heart. Because what Jesus wants more than anything else is just to dwell in your heart, to live in your heart. It, and the word live or dwell that Jesus uses is the word, Greek word katakoma. And it means to live, to permeate, to inhabit, prompt, and always be present. Isn't that great? Don't we want Jesus always present in our homes? Yes, Cheryl, thank you. <laughs> to this end, it's important that we not only study about Jesus in the house, and you know that it's short. Each lesson is short. The reading might be a little longer, but you only have like five or six questions, or maybe we cheated a little bit, like question one is A, B, C, D, E, okay? But really, you can do it in 10 minutes. Or you can take two hours. It's whatever the spirit of the living God. Sometimes he will downpour, and in 10 minutes, you'll get a, a revolutionary word from the Lord. Sometimes it will be two hours, and then it will come, or you, you can't pull yourself away from it. Because, wow. Or sometimes it will be like, I already visited that house, and the Lord will be like, go right back. Have you ever done that? You know, go back in. Did you see the furniture? I forgot. I don't know if you're like me. I tend to forget things, you know? Like we had a power outage last night. I thought I had an extra hour this morning. I'm like, wow, you know? No. But I have to sometimes go back and revisit and look again. Sometimes it's going to need a reread or revisitation of this house. You're going to be reading the account. And while you read the account, the spirit of the living God is going to be searching your heart. He's going to be prompting you to write down the insights that the spirit of God gives you. Write down your questions. Write down your quandaries. If you don't have questions, you know the Bible wants us to ask why. We've been telling people for so long, don't ask why. It's a lack of faith. No, it's not. Why can often be the question that prompts more faith. What, why, where, how? Yes! Jesus, Jesus didn't say, why are you asking that? How dare you ask that? Jesus asked questions too because it prompts thoughts. Because he's so big he can handle all our questions. 
and he's got an answer for us. So that's going to happen. Then we're going to gather together and share in groups, and we're going to share what Jesus has done in our hearts during the week. Why? In order to help others, inspire others, and encourage others to be helped. Have you ever walked in someone else's house and go, oh, I love this paint color? And they say, oh, it's Sherman Williams, number 543. And you're like, are you okay if I paint my house this color? I hate those people. Sorry, I don't hate them. I hate it when they act like, don't copy me. That is so mean. I copy everybody. Come on, get over it. If I wear the dress you wore, just know that I loved it and it was so cute. But you know, we should be helping each other. This is how you do it. This is how you paint. This is the blessing. When you come and you're sharing your insights that the Lord has given you, you're helping people redecorate. You're facilitating, you're blessing, you're inspiring. Now they want to redecorate. Have you ever done that? Your kitchen is so cute. This is how I did it. Valerie comes over and she goes, have you thought of chalk paint? I'm like, what? I painted my table. Looks so good. I'm like, where's something else I can paint? Brian's like, have you ever thought of painting the coffee table? I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> Looks so good. Get inspired. S start these projects with Jesus. So you need to come not just for yourself, like, what can I get? You know, in Orange County, we're like, feed me. What can I get? Come here to feed others. You start making enchiladas in your spiritual kitchen. Bring them to share. <laughs> you bring that word that God gives you to share with others. Somebody needs that word. Somebody needs that word. The Holy Spirit gave you that word, not just to box it up in your heart, but to share it, to give it to somebody. There's a word that somebody needs. You know, I love it when you sit in the groups and someone goes, oh, I needed that. You're like, really? Something I said actually blessed you? Thank you, Jesus. He wants popcorn like that going all through the groups. That's for me. That's for me. See, it's popping. That's for me. I turned from a kernel to like a fluffy thing. So we're going to be sharing in groups. And finally... Every heart and home constantly needs cleaning, doesn't it? Especially if you have fans in your house, right? Those ceiling fans, they collect dust, don't they? And either you're shooting that dust all over the house, so everyone's getting allergies, or you're cleaning those fans. Well, we'll be cleaning the fans. We'll be renovating, we'll be repurposing, that is what Jesus is going to do as he comes into each of our houses. He's going to start conversing with us. He's going to take up our time and live in our hearts. But I am so, so excited about what the spirit of the living God is going to do in each of our hearts through the presence of Jesus Christ. Aren't you? Finally, you can talk out loud while I'm doing this. I like it because I don't like being alone. I like team sports. So we're doing this together. We're doing this renovation project together, and we're helping each other. And the spirit of the living God is going to be directing, Jesus, 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 we thank you that you are here. Jesus, we thank you that you love each of us so much. Oh, Father, may we recognize the love that you have for us personally and the love that you have for each other.
May love, Lord, may love be the flood. May love be the paint. May love be the permeating thing in each of our hearts because of your presence. Lord, you said in your word that in your presence there is joy. So, Father, bring joy to the house. Lord, you are grace itself, so bring grace to the house. Bring vision to the house by your presence and draw us in to the room that you're in. Bless our time. Bless all these that have come. Bless the house. In Jesus' name.